Alfredo Corchado knew the Mexican-American border as a malleable thing, even as a young child. He crossed into the U.S. from Mexico to help his father work in the farms of California. Most of us would work in the fields, including my brothers, to try to save up money for the closing, new pants, new shirts for the fall school year. One day, one afternoon, a TV crew comes up and they're looking for kids. For me, it really, I think, inspired me that someone was trying to give me a voice, that someone cared about that. How I felt about working in the fields at a time when uh, there was not enough clean drinking water, there were not enough toilets outside, that we didn't have a break for lunch or breakfast. That became kind of an inspiration for later years. When I told my parents that, that I would actually become a journalist, they were both very happy, but my father made a comment to me at the time and says, look, you know, whatever you do, just don't cover drug trafficking. Don't get involved in organized crime. I now mostly cover organized crime and drug trafficking. I know it's the most dangerous area, region for journalists. The very first time that I felt my personal life was in danger, I felt personally threatened. The assignment was find out who's killing so many women in Juarez. In my investigation, started looking into a criminal organization that was part of the Juarez cartel. But we zeroed in on, on this group as being responsible for some of the killings. One of my sources for that story was an attorney, Dante Almaraz, who was known as basically the devil's attorney because his clients were mostly drug traffickers. So the article runs. Shortly after, the, uh, a phone, a cell phone call comes in, and it's a strange voice, a man's voice. And he says, I know exactly where you are right now. I said, who's this? And he said, I'm right behind you on such and such street. And I just froze. I hung up the phone. I looked around. There were all these cars. You don't know who's, who's there or if there is a person. I just started running. I realized that Dante's office was three or four blocks from there. So I just ran and ran until I got to Dante's office. The devil's attorney. There's an old saying in Mexico, and that's uh, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And at the time, I felt like I knew him, and I, I would trust him, you know, more than the devil I didn't know. The only thing on my mind was, how do I get back to the U.S. side of the border? I mean, how do I get back to El Paso? I said, Dante, how do I get back? And he says, well, you know, it's just a few blocks. I said, I know exactly where I am, but I'm not sure I want to walk. And he says, well, get in the cajuela, and we'll take you back. And... A cajuela, it's a trunk, but in this case, it was the compartment of his SUV. I'll get you in the back, I'll drive to the border, and you'll be in front of the bridge and just run to the U.S. side. And at the time, you know, I did it without any hesitation. I said, okay, let's do it. He just threw, he threw a cover on me. He said, just stay low, and he closes the door. And as he, as he closed the compartment, I, you know, it, it runs through my mind. You know, what if this guy's taking me to the bad guys? And you're thinking, you're debating, and next thing you know, he says, adios. I run for the border, and you're just running. I mean, you're just trying to get to the U.S. side. When I got to the top of the bridge, I looked back. I saw Juarez. I just had like a huge grin. This realization that this is what reporting on drug trafficking is all about. You know, I wasn't sure that I liked it, but that was the beginning of my new beat. Our situation is... American correspondents hails in comparison to what our colleagues in Mexico face. 
my big advantage is that I have a blue passport that says, you know, United States of America. I can call my boss and I can say, Tim, I don't feel safe. And he'll say, you know, just get to the U.S. side. I mean, at that point, I felt that anywhere on the U.S. side of the border was safer than anywhere on the, on the Mexican side of the border. Laredo became kind of the hangout. And it, it was a hangout because of security reasons. We knew people. We felt comfortable. We felt uh, very much at ease. We decided to get together for, for drinks at a place called the Agave Azul in Laredo, Texas. I want to say it was a Thursday night, and we're supposed to meet other friends, all of them journalists. There's music playing, Mexican pop music. You obviously had journalists, you had federal agents, you had politicians, and then you had the more shady characters. People who I thought were, were probably members of drug gangs. And I had been interviewing a source of mine, a U.S. intelligence source. And then I met these guys for dinner. And as I'm there with my colleagues, these um, guys who clearly looked like uh, they were members of some gang walk in. And one of them, the guy in the middle, looks to me and he takes his, um, his hand and makes the gun signal. And I cocks it twice, you know, like, bam, bam. And I just looked at him and wasn't sure what to, what to uh, think. He was pointing at me. Ramon, my colleague from Nuevo Laredo, says that this guy just do what I think he did. We're leaving. Waiter comes up with a tray, a couple of tequilas. And he says, these are for you. And I looked at him. I said, you must be mistaken. No, these are for you. From that gentleman in the other corner. I looked up and I see this guy. And he raises his glass. I asked the waiter, I said, what kind of tequila is this? The guy says, Don Julio. And if you know anything about tequila, you know that Don Julio is one of the top premiums. And I thought, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll have a shot. So I just raised my glass. And then suddenly I feel this guy's hand over my shoulder. And he starts talking to me in Spanish. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. And he says, you know, problems surface. When you start asking too many questions, things can get kind of crazy. And if they have to, they will kidnap you, take you to an isolated ranch, cut you into little pieces, and put you in a barrel full of acid. And at that time, it doesn't matter who you know, not even the agent you saw earlier today. But we'll, we'll be humane about it. Imagine how many parents are out there who don't know what happened to their kids. In your case, we will record everything and we'll send it to your mother so she can have a video so she can rest in peace knowing that her son is dead. I'm, I'm, I'm panicked. I'm just, I, I, I feel terrorized. I, you know, you can't move. He said that the guys who pointed at you are outside. They're with me. And they're waiting for any, any sign, any signal from me to pick you up and take you. So don't do anything stupid. I did see... It was a black Escalade. It's parked outside with these guys inside, and they're just staring at me. So I knew they were there. I couldn't walk away. When everything was clear, it was around midnight. We looked around, and I didn't see the van anymore or the uh, the Escalade where these guys were, were in. And I just told them, let's get out of here. And we left. I went back to my hotel room. I decided that I needed really to distance myself, that I needed to reevaluate priorities in life and basically almost came to the conclusion that I needed to just get away from Mexico and needed to get away from uh, this kind of reporting and try to find something else.
I was actually thinking of being like, you know, more of an entertainment reporter and maybe get into reviewing movies or even sports writing, something like that. That was the plan. And then February 1st of 2010, they had this horrific massacre where there were more than 30 people celebrating a young student's birthday. And they just started killing people indiscriminately. The majority of them were students, young kids who came from parents who, you know, really had big dreams for them. So when I showed up the next morning to begin my reporting, it really made me realize that um, this is so wrong. I mean, these were innocent, innocent kids. And I think that really shook me back into, into reality. You know, again, going back to why you get into journalism, I mean, I wanted to give others a voice. And these people were voiceless. Alfredo is the man. He's one of those hard-headed fellas that you read about uncovering the truth. He continues to cover drug trafficking and organized crime in Mexico for the Dallas Morning News. Many thanks to Andrew Becker and the Center for Investigative Reporting for assisting with that piece. It was produced by our own Anna Sussman. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.